Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning, it's Thursday and you're welcome to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun. Coming up this morning, we'll be talking to Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly on the latest revelations in the cervical smear scandal. Kevin Doyle of the Irish Independent will join us to talk about Brexit and his newspaper's report that 600 Gardaí will be deployed across 300 border crossings in the event of a no-deal Brexit. And Thomas Byrne of Fianna Fáil and the take-up of Leader Grants in Meath and the Fianna Fáil SDLP partnership, which will be launched in Belfast later today. First, though, news of a very significant drug seizure in Termonfecan last night. And joining us on the line is Superintendent Andrew Waters of Drogheda Garda Station. Good morning to you, Superintendent. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is a very significant and a very welcome uh, drugs find last night. Can you tell us exactly what you found in, in Termonfecan and the street value of the cannabis involved? Yes, Carl. Um, this was part of the ongoing, uh, very targeted, intelligence-led operations uh, in the Drogheda district and indeed the Loud Division. And a search conducted yesterday morning uh, in the Termin Fecken area. Uh, we recovered 47 kilograms of suspected uh, cannabis herb. And this has a street value of approximately €950,000. Now, the search was conducted by Gardaí from the Drogheda district and the Loud Division, but also uh, with assistance from our national units, the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, and indeed the Criminal Assets Bureau, because we're working very closely with our national units as part of our operation status here in the Drogheda District. Had this been grown on site, Superintendent, or was had it been imported? Or um, the, There's a further investigation. The, the, the investigation into this seizure call is ongoing, and there are further inquiries, so I'd rather not okay. comment in that and, regard. And but, we, we've had um, one, one arrest so far. Yeah, there's, there's one lady detained here at Drogheda Garda Station, uh, she's detained here under Section 2 of the Criminal Justice uh, Drug Trafficking Act and there's further inquiries ongoing. And just, if I can, call to just take this opportunity to reassure the public that uh, Operation Stratus, which is the operation here in the Drogheda District and indeed the Loud Division, as I said, to target uh, you know, the activities of criminal gangs and you know the sale and supply of drugs, but also their assets as well. Um, this will continue in in the, the Drogheda District and the Loud Division. And this search yesterday 
was, you know, it was a, it was a further part of this operation targeting these uh, the activity of these criminal groups. Because it, it has been a very worrying time for people around Drogheda, hasn't it? Oh, it has indeed. But um, again, if I could take this opportunity, call to thank the public for their cooperation with us, they will have seen the very visible uh, checkpoints with uniform guardy supported by our armed support units. But also, there's a lot of ongoing operations in the background, as I said, intelligence-led operations. And I want to just send that message out quite clearly this morning to the public to reassure them that this operation will continue. And this was very much the result of surveillance, wasn't it? You, you have been following this gang for a while. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, surveillance and you know intelligence that's coming in as part of uh, our operation here uh, in the Low Division and also in the National Unit. In terms of the public, I mean, they, they will be very reassured by this this morning because a million euros worth of cannabis, almost a million euros, is a very significant haul. But there are people out there with information, Superintendent. What would you say to them? Again, yes, we, we, we've said this already, Carl, and as part of our operation, uh, and, you know, a number of people who maybe heretofore were reluctant to come forward and talk to us, I would personally encourage them to come and talk to us uh, on Garda Síochána, they can talk to any of our officers or they can talk to myself, uh, district officer here in Drogheda, and indeed both myself and Chief Superintendent Mangan, we have met with a number of people who wish to talk to us. Uh, you know, if they have any concerns, uh, we'd certainly invite them and we'd encourage them to come forward and talk to us. And while this may be something to be celebrated, it's not something that you're going to rest on your laurels now, and I'm sure the message to the criminals is you're coming after them. Yes, I, I, I want to just reiterate that uh, very firmly, Carl. This operation is ongoing uh, and it will definitely continue. We have a number of uh, a number of some of the key players have been charged with some serious offences and are before the courts. Uh, a number of them in custody, but others are subject of very strict bail conditions and they are being monitored uh, on a daily basis by Gardaí here in Drogheda. Superintendent Andrew Waters, we thank you for your time this morning and uh, we, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on air. Kevin Doyle is the Group Political Editor of Independent News and Media and, of course, one subject that is very close to Kevin's heart and to his working life at the moment is Brexit. Kevin Doyle, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. I don't know if I'd say it's close to my heart, but it certainly <laughs> takes up a lot of time, yeah. At, at this stage. First of all, can I say, you were one of the first journalists uh, this week, Kevin, to highlight the fact that there are cracks appearing between the Irish government's stance on the hard border and our colleagues in the EU, because you you were rightly writing about the Polish uh, foreign minister. We saw Michel Barnier yesterday come out with similar comments as to the European spokesman, the Commission spokesman, in terms of the inevitability of a hard border. So where do you see us at this moment in time? Yeah, and I suppose this is something that's it has been there in black and white all along, but we have... I suppose, decided almost collectively as a nation to to somewhat ignore it and pretend, if you like, that the uh, idea of border checks can and will never happen. But the problem is, as we we edge towards this no-deal scenario, that there may be no alternative. And the EU has made that pretty clear this week in remarks that uh, have upset the government in Dublin, uh, because the reality is that if the UK as a whole leaves uh, the European Union without a deal, then the, the, the line from, uh, from Louth across to Donegal becomes a European frontier. It's not an Irish border, if you like. It's a, it's a European border, and the European Union would expect that uh, there would have to be measures put in place to protect the customs union and the single market, because if you make an exception on the island of Ireland, uh, there are plenty of places in Eastern Europe that I'm sure would like to have similar uh, exceptions. Uh, and once the rule is broken, there might be no going back. Is it now 27 against 1, or is it more like sort of 26.5, 26.4? 
It's probably 26.5. A lot of a lot of questions uh, around what exactly the Polish foreign minister was up to, and depending on who you believe, there's an argument that he wasn't speaking on behalf of the government. Uh, the, the, I suppose behind the scenes, and there's always behind the scenes on these things. Um, it happened on on a day when Simon Coveney was at a European affairs uh, European foreign affairs minister's meeting. Uh, in Brussels, which was also attended by the Polish minister. Uh, And I've spoken to some people who were in the vicinity, shall we say, of that and said that there seemed to be frantic toing and froing going on between Jeremy Hunt, the UK foreign minister, uh, and the Polish foreign minister uh, before that all happened. So there's a a deep suspicion that it was all teed up uh, by way of the Poles trying to give their their friends in Britain uh, a dig out uh, when the news cycle was very much going against them. Um, it'll be interesting because the Taoiseach is in Davos uh, today uh, and I gather that he'll be at an event where the Polish Prime Minister will also be. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of a conversation emerges from that. You could sell uh, a few tickets for that one, couldn't you? You could indeed. It'll be interesting to see what, what the narrative or what kind of uh, uh, friendly face they put on that particular meeting. Is there a danger that in the future we will look back at this whole Brexit debate and say that the government, for all their insistence that they weren't planning for a hard border, but in fact they were, because we, we see this morning in your own newspaper, the Gardaí are saying, Commissioner Drew Harris addressed this yesterday, 600 guards to be deployed across the border, 300 border crossing points, which by my maths equates to two per crossing point on average, if you go on averages. And we've also seen that the uh, Revenue Commissioner saying that 400 extra uh, bodies will be employed to deal with, with, with their situation. So we've seen, we, we spoke about this in the programme yesterday about land being looked at in terms of Rosslare Port, in terms of Dublin Port, uh, in terms of customs crossings, etc. So have the government secretly been planning in the background for this? Um, well, they argue and, and continue to argue even, even, even this morning that they are not planning for a border, border infrastructure. There, is, there seems to be uh, a growing acceptance or an admission, if you like, that something will have to change. Things can't just stay the same in, in a no-deal scenario. Uh, but they still insist that there is no plan to erect border infrastructure. Now, you will get a lot more, I think, on the revenues uh, point of view on this later today because uh, officials from the Revenue Commissioners are up at a all committee where they'll be answering questions on exactly this point. Uh, the argument they're putting forward is that the, this bulk up of, of officers will be more for the ports, for Dublin Airport, Rosslare, um, Dublin Port. Uh, rather than actually standing at some sort of a border post um, north of Drogheda. So it's it's really one of those things where you would think, given that we know a border seems likely, uh, unless something changes, um, that it would be foolish not to be planning for it. But then there's another another theory that, that moves around government buildings, which is, well, if we don't plan for it, and we say that we were fully committed to the withdrawal agreement all along, uh, if the day comes, at least, they'll give us some breathing space and we won't have to do it on March. The morning of March 30th uh, will not be the day that the border might come back. So, in, in, instead, after that. so instead of Britain buying time, we're going to have to buy time. Exactly. And, and, and the, the, the which pressure is, which is preposterous. It, it, it is, given everything that's happened. But when you look at the state of UK politics um, and the fact that they can't even agree to talk to each other, uh, never mind what they might, might, the outcome of those talks might be, um, we have to mind our own house uh, at this stage, and I think they are going to be, in the, and Simon Coveney has said, there's some very difficult conversations with the European Union uh, if Britain crashes out. 
In terms of, of the, the resources involved, and one of the things that the Revenue Chairman uh, Niall Cody has said is that, you know, they, they will work, and, and Customs have said this as well, they will work as much as they can to ensure that any checks that are needed are done in, in, in the premises of importers or exporters, etc. But there's a cost factor involved with all this. I mean, who's going to pay for the 400 extra Revenue Commissioner staff? Who's going to pay for the 600 Gardaí to be deployed in the event of a hard border? Me and you, call. that's the yeah. obvious answer. Have, have, they, have they budgeted for this, Kevin? Uh, well, they haven't. Now, they say there are resources there. They, ha- they have allowed for some extra uh, customs officers, and I suppose the Gardaí will be doing it within current budgets, if you know what I mean. They're not going to have necessarily 600 new Gardaí. They but are Gardaí who already exist, so they'll have to come from, from somewhere else. Yeah, which, um, which leads to a problem in under-resourcing in other areas. Exactly, and these are all the fallout problems that are that are going to start becoming apparent probably over the next two months, but more so over the next six months once things actually start to kick in. Um, the reality is, if you don't put those customs officers there, um, life for businesses in this country has become intolerable, and that creates a whole different uh, set of scenarios and, and fears about potential job losses because businesses need to be able to continue trading uh, with the rest of Europe and indeed with the UK um, so if we, as taxpayers, don't fund the contingency plans, well, then it'll come back and bite us uh, at a later stage. So th- this stuff has to be done. And I suppose the attitude is, OK, we still hope that the UK will, will agree to the backstop and to the, the overall withdrawal agreement. Um, but it would be better to spend this money and never have to use, this, uh, use all these custom officers than to uh, not be ready for it at the end of March. And we've also seen this morning, Kevin, reports where Regina Doherty has admitted that the 20,000 Irish pension holders in the UK may may see a problem with their pension payments. Yeah, I spoke to a good few people in in government circles about this last night. She brought a memo to Cabinet on Tuesday, uh, which we hadn't heard anything about uh, until now, but essentially it's it's warning as part of this omnibus, as they call it, of legislation that's been brought forward. One of the key areas within that is pensions, because there's huge numbers of British people uh, living in Ireland who get a, a pension from the British state, and vice versa, Irish people living both in Northern Ireland and in in England who are getting Irish pensions. Um, the problem is that Ireland is well positioned to pass the legislation. They they have it. Uh, work is well underway for a long time on it. The UK has agreed to do likewise, so the situation can continue as it is right now. Uh, but there is no guarantee that the UK Parliament will be able to pass that legislation uh, by the 29th of March. Um, They have promised the Irish government that they fully intend to, but at this moment in time they can't guarantee because of what is happening in the House of Commons where day after day they just go in and row about deal or no deal. Um, So the Irish government is putting contingencies in place there, trying to play it down, saying nobody will be stranded, um, and that, that if measures have to be taken, they'll be taken. But it is another worry that there might be some sort of gap there in social welfare payments uh, on the 29th of March. Finally, Kevin, what's the most significant uh, item coming up on the timeline for all of this? Uh, well, it goes back to the House of Commons now, really. Uh, next week, Theresa May will have to tell us what she has garnered from the D- her talks with the DUP and the hardline Brexiteers. Um, you imagine that has been the backstop. Uh, and then she goes back to Europe, who will say no to her. And at that point, um, something will have to give. Either at that point we accept that there is no deal, or uh, will the Labour Party make a play for a second referendum or to at least delay Article 50 uh, in, into later in the year, or perhaps 2020. So uh, it really depends on what the, the, the Brits do next, to be honest. Kevin Doyle, political, cor- political editor, group political editor of Independent News and Media, thank you as always for your contribution. We'll be back after this. 
And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin, 086-1800-658, 086-1800-658, as always our text number, and Marie will be in with me just after 10 o'clock if you have a comment on any of the issues raised on this morning's programme. Now, Brexit aside, there is there are two stories that dominate the newspapers this morning. I was looking at the Irish Sun, Michelle Devan's story, a number of smear tests conducted to allay fears over the cervical cancer screening scandal will have to be repeated Taoiseach Leo Varadkar admitted to the doll yesterday and we also have the overrun at the Children's Hospital. The National Children's Hospital is already €450 million Euros over budget. Joining us to discuss this is Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin spokesperson on health. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Cahill, and good morning to your listeners. This is a very disturbing day for women of Ireland. Uh, well, that's true. Um, it is. Uh, and I suppose the... The system has been rocked uh, by this thing we now call the cervical check scandal. Um, we have seen um, women who have been central to this, um, a, a, at least two if not more of them have died subsequently. And that is very worrying because that's a, that, that they're very high profile cases and they cause women to worry. And what happens then is women hear the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health say you can get a repeat smear test. Anyone that needs one can get a repeat test. And I say this, Cahill, as someone who is a user of that service, someone who believes in the power of screening and someone who knows how vital it is to absolutely go for your smear test. But when the the, the fear happened, women were told by the Taoiseach in very reassuring terms and by the Minister for Health that any woman who wanted a repeat smear test would get one. So they went off, they made the appointment, they went to their doctor. We now see that the delay in returning those smear tests is up to 22 weeks, at which time some of the samples have expired. And it's, so that's it's, 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 one actually, group. it's actually a worse deputy because there was an admission this morning that the test, so if, if for example the test was taken on the 1st of March, but it only arrived at, at the, the company checking the test on yes. the 12th of March, for argument's sake, the date of 30, of 30 days, is it? Or sorry, 30 30 weeks or 30 days? Anyway, the date yeah, the date was dated from the 12th of March when it arrived yes. rather than the 1st of March. That's unbelievable. Exactly. That, that is catastrophic in terms of a failure because it's a very simple thing to do. So it is absolutely uh, reprehensible that that has not been done. But there is also another group of women now uh, who have uh, have had to go for a repeat test and who now have been told that the there's 6,000 of those women who now would... have been told that they will be written to. So they're the cohort you're referring to. There's two cohorts in this. They're the cohort that you're referring to. The 6,000 samples will need to be retested. Those women are going to be written to um, in the next in the next week in the next few weeks, and they will now have to go again for another test. Um, and without, and all this without being alarmist, deputy, concern. You know, without being alarmist. Anything could have changed in their circumstances in the in the time it has taken, even to write Absolutely. them to say to say they and, need to be rechecked. And that's why I would say, Cahill, to, to any woman listening this morning, uh, please, if you are symptomatic, regardless of what result you may have had, or if you're waiting on a result, if you have any of the the symptoms of cervical cancer, then go or any symptoms at all, go to your doctor. That's what you should do. Have a chat with your doctor because your your GP, your family doctor is the person who will be able to, you know, have a have a one to one conversation and allay those fears. And I do want to say again, screening saves lives. It's really, really important. And I am absolutely furious 
with this government that what they have done is they have put in jeopardy the trust that women should be able to have in the cervical check programme. As I said, Cahill, I'm a user of the service. My sister is, my daughter is, my friends are, my cousins are, my colleagues in, in, in Sinn Féin are, the people listening in are. We should have confidence in the service. And what this government has done, and the Minister for Health in particular, is he has, by over-promising and under-delivering, as he does with almost every single project that is left in his charge, he has undermined the confidence that women are entitled to have in our screening service. And that is what is wrong in this scenario. What we need to do is start building confidence within the system. We need women to be able to say with confidence that they have trust in the cervical check system. And they do. They trust their doctors. They trust that the samples will be well looked after. They trust the results when they get them. What they what has happened now is the minister has over-promised and under-delivered and he's left women disappointed. And I sincerely hope that the result of all of this will be a robust system that's fit for purpose, that every woman who uh, who uses it can say with confidence, I trust that system. And no that. screening is ever going to be 100%. We know that. But we must have confidence in the system as it operates. And that, Deputy, is the very least that we owe to the memories of Orla Church and Emma Mc- Vic Mahuna, just to, to name two, two, two of the victims of all of this. Okay. In terms of, of under, under delivery and, and over expenditure, 450 million extra needed for the National Children's Hospital, 100 million extra needed this year alone. Yes, we, uh, we've had the second session at the uh, Oireachtas Health Committee and, and the Deputy Chair of that committee. And we had our second session this time with officials from the Department of Health and from the HSE. Last week, we had the National Pediatric Hospital Development Board in front of us. Uh, and I have to tell you, uh, more questions uh, than answers, as usual. Um, the cost overrun in this regard is extremely worrying. One, because the Minister appears to have taken his foot off the pedal and his hands off the, the issue uh, and has operated very much a hands-off approach to uh, the managing of what is a massive budget. Um, and two, because uh, we know that the costs are going to overrun from the original estimate. We know that uh, that those overruns have not been kept in check up until now. Um, so we know that there will be knock-on consequences for other projects. So, for example, this year, €50 million Euros would be taken from the health budget, um, from the capital expenditure budget, and €50 million Euros from other projects, from other departments. And that is only the thin end of the wedge, because actually what we are going to see, and I questioned the officials from the Department of Health and from the HSE about this yesterday, and I did question them uh, quite closely about this. When I asked them what projects were going to be impacted, uh, they weren't able to tell me what they said was any project that was currently under contract was safe. So if a contract has been signed and basically if the work has started, those projects are safe. But they could not give me a definitive list as to what projects are going to be delayed because of this. Our party leader um, and my colleague Mary Lou MacDonald was questioning when I was down in the committee room asking the questions and she was above in the dull chamber asking on Taoiseach the questions about what projects were going to be impacted he could not say either. But the likely implications are a 15% reduction. And that's as things stand. And, uh, you know, we all know that the, that this the costs of this are spiralling out of control. So one, the likely one. impact is a 15% reduction in the capital budget. So logically, you would say, well, that's a 15% reduction in activity. And then we have to ask, how are we going to build in the capacity that is needed within the health service? I mean, your listeners 
will be very familiar with the sight of, of trolleys and with the news that there's trolleys and there's cancelled appointments and uh, there's cancelled procedures. So we know that this is happening every day because there's a capacity crisis in the health service. We now see one big project, which, by the way, uh, will not add uh, any more than I think it's three or four additional beds into the sum total of beds that are available. Although at, they at will a, be at a now estimated total cost, beds. it's a now estimated total cost of one point seven billion euros. Billion euros. And remember, when this was first uh, mooted at the matter site originally, it was four hundred and fifty million. On Taoiseach, when he was minister for health, said he was confident it would cost six hundred and thirty million. It's now three times that. So let let us not lose sight of the fact. You know, we also heard that a delay, because it has been delayed, obviously, the delay of nine months is going to cost 90 million euros, which means that for every month it is delayed, that's 10 million euros. And, and just to give some perspective to your listeners, that means that for every day it is delayed, it costs 340,000 euros. Which could be spent on hospital beds somewhere else. We need that capacity, Carl, and your listeners will be very familiar with that. And I know that there are people uh, who listen to your show in my own constituency in Balbriggan and Scaries and, and in the surrounding areas. They will be familiar with uh, cancelled appointments. They will be familiar with the fact that we have a primary care centre in Balbriggan um, and not one additional staff member was added to it. So we need to focus on building capacity. We need to focus on building the additional capacity and also focus on the men and women who are going to work to deliver the service within that expanded capacity. And instead, what we have is now the sure and certain knowledge that budgets are going to be cut, but we do not know from what projects. So if there are people who are waiting for you know, a piece of equipment, for example, there's, uh, there's scanners in use in some of our hospitals that are more than nine years out of date. That's from the capital budget that those additional scanners will be, will be ordered. So we don't know where the sword is going to come down and we haven't been able to get any answers from this minister who, again, was very quick to turn up to the photo opportunity to take a picture of himself with a little scale model of the hospital smiling, but not very quick to come out and answer questions when he's asked about the catastrophic overrun that's effectively happened on his watch. Can I ask you, Deputy uh, O'Reilly, in terms of the, the talks which will resume today at the Workplace Re- Relations Commission between the HSE and the nursing unions, uh, Phil Nihay yesterday, the INMO uh, secretary, said that there will be no deferral to the strike action uh, on the basis of the talks that were there yesterday. Is there any hope in, in, in this strike being averted? Well, of course, but the hope will only come when the Department of Finance officials actually come to the table. And Carl, I I know I've I've spoken on this show many times and and a lot of your listeners will be familiar with the fact that I was a trade union official before I was elected to the Dáil. So I'm familiar with this process and I know how it works. You need to have meaningful discussions. So if you have the Department of Health and the HSE in the room, the paymasters are the Department of Finance um, and the Division of the, the, the the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform within the Department of Finance. They are the ones who can effectively make that decision? So, well, but they, they will the tell HC. you. They will tell you, deputy, with respect, that they are confined mm-hmm. by the terms of the public service stability agreement. And the government are saying that if they were to implement the the uh, increase that the nurses are looking for, it would cost them three hundred million euros. That's indeed the government figure. Um, but the nurses themselves haven't put that figure on us. What they've said is, we want meaningful negotiations. So, as it as it stands. Those negotiations cannot be meaningful because the people who ultimately have the capacity to settle the dispute are not sitting at the table. So the government have a very clear choice 
and the Minister for Health has a very clear choice. He can head for confrontation with the single largest group within our health service and the ones, let's face it, who do provide the frontline care. I mean, everybody says it when you are in hospital. It is the nurse who is there. She's there when you wake up. She's there when you come into accident and emergency. And we all agree they do. They 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 do a great job. Yes, and the Minister has a choice. He can have confrontation with that particular group of workers. He can fail to address the recruitment and retention crisis. I mean, let's not forget, for every four vacancies that exist within the health service, there's four nursing vacancies, there's only one application. So they have made the health service a very bad place, a very uh, unattractive place to work. Our nurses, and everyone saw that video online of the nurses in Australia. And what did they say? They said, give us a reason to come home. The minister has within his power the resolution of this dispute. He needs to insist that the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform are represented at the table and he needs to take urgent steps to resolve this dispute because the alternative is the recruitment and retention crisis continues. The spend of €1.2 million every week on agency nurses starts to go up and up and up at an even faster rate. That's not good value for money. And the capacity that we need to ensure that the figure of 700 plus people on trolleys is not reached again this year as it was last year. If we don't build capacity, we cannot ensure that we will reduce the trolley numbers. So it's in the Minister's gift to have a confrontation with these people or to resolve the dispute and start to build capacity. And, you know, politics is about choices. He needs to make that choice. I personally hope that he will choose to avert the strike action by agreeing a decent settlement with the nurses and then set about the task of saying to those nurses in Australia, in England, in America and all over the world, we want you home. And to say to the nurses that are here, who are working hard every day of the week, we will pay you appropriately for the work that you do because we want you to stay. Our thanks as always to Deputy Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin spokesperson on health. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin, and we thank you as always for listening this morning. Our text number 086 1800 658. We're also available on WhatsApp using that number 086 1800 658. On Twitter at LMFM Radio and across all social media platforms including Facebook. Now over the Christmas period 1,000 arrests were made by Gardaí as they cracked down on drink driving following the legislation change late last year. We have also seen as we will discuss now an increase in the number of off the shelf breathalyser units being bought by the public and utilised by them. Joining me to discuss all of this is Sheena Horgan who's the CEO of DrinkAware. Good morning to you Sheena. Good morning. First of all have you seen any noticeable change Sheena in people's attitudes to drink driving with the new legislation? Absolutely. I think at the back end of last year, when the legislation came in at the end of October, we had a sharp increase in queries regarding the legislation. What are the changes? How does this affect? Does this mean there's no limit? What is the limit? And everything else. So we did a lot of clarification around that. We've since now in January, because of the onset, as you said at the outset there, there's an awful lot more breathalysers now in the market, just off the shelf personal ones. So we've had a lot of queries going, do they work? Do they not work? Can we use them? Are they reliable? Which is why we issued a press release yesterday, really just cautioning the general public to say, you know, the breathalysers that are there, they can be informative, they can be helpful, absolutely. But we would caution people not to be overly reliant on them because the accuracy is yet to really be tested. There's so many out there in the market and it's a, it's a, it's a really unregulated market in that sense. So our advice was to exercise caution. 
I would have no great personal experience of these things, Sheen, other than to know that they are available. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming, and, and I have no figures either, but I'm assuming they're available in all price ranges. There's there's cheap ones, there's expensive ones. There's Absolutely. You know, a lot of retailers, a lot of chemists and online. So they are available very, very widespread and I'm bound to grow because I think the legislation really hit um, it struck a chord, if you like, with the general public. And we already noticed from the likes of our website visits and calls to our, our lines and that, that there's a huge interest and people want to understand more about the alcohol they're consuming, what's a healthy guideline, what's not. They want to know how to cut back or to cut out, how to abstain and all of that. So there was that happening anyway. You add the legislation in there and that's an additional catalyst for people to really think about the morning after, the night out um, and what they need to do there to arm themselves with the right information. I think one of the, the concerns in particular that we would have is that, you know, the only piece of science really that we can offer is it takes the body typically an hour to process one standard drink, but then that will vary from person to person, your metabolism, your gender, that, your that, height, weight, yeah. age, all of those things. So that, it's, that, was going to be, that was going to be my next question because I'm like, I, I, I don't know how a, a factory worker in China can understand my metabolism, for example, but <laughs> you're... you're, you're Absolutely. Your, it's so your metabolism and my metabolism are going to be completely different, yet we, completely. We, we completely. can't. So you cannot rely on the same piece of equipment no. to give you the same No, answer. you can't. And, and even that figure of saying one hour, one standard unit causes problems in itself because we know from our own research that 98% of the drinking population do not know what a standard drink is and what the weekly healthy guidelines are as recommended by the HSE. So one standard drink is 100 mils of wine. So typically, if you're drinking at home, you'll have a probably nice large glasses, loads of wine glasses on the market. Or if you're in a bar or restaurant, it could be 150, 175, even 200 mils. So wine is just a very good example of that. So I may think, okay, I've got to allow an hour for my standard drink. But that's one of my glasses of wine is actually two standard drinks typically. So that adds an additional layer of complication to it. So it is very difficult for people to understand. I think at the end of the day, it's important to know that any amount of alcohol will affect your ability to drive. And that is a scientific fact. And again, it's something a lot of people are very conscious of and aware of but it doesn't necessarily stop us getting behind the wheel of a car when we've had a drink. So it's a lot of, I suppose, concern around this space. And we're just saying err on the side of caution. Being a fairly typical Irish male, Shana, I would probably say to you that my understanding is that a pint of Guinness, for argument's sake, is one unit of alcohol. And you're going to tell me it's more than that. It's two standard drinks. Yeah. Now, what I would say is go onto the website. So at drinkaware.ie, it's a very public-facing, user-friendly website. If you go onto the website, we have an online calculator. And that will, if you just key in female night out, um, two glasses of wine and whatever kind of percentage is there, it will then tell you how many standard units that is. So you standard drinks, that is. So you can kind of work back. So the calculator is there to help people understand better what they're consuming. And when you have that knowledge, then at least you have some control over what you're doing. And and thinking about the main thing is thinking about when you're going on a night out, thinking about the next day. Where do I have to be the next day? Do I have to drive? What time am I going at? And we we are seeing an increase in next morning checkpoints, aren't we? Oh, completely, completely. And I know that's causing furore, but having said that, while there is a furore over it, I think the Road Safety Authority figures are that one in 10 um, drinking under the influence arrests are occurring between 8am and 2pm. So that is the morning after. So it, it is an issue that needs to be looked at. But, you know, that said... 
is certainly from our point of view, when we're seeing, you know, 400% increase in people going to our website in the month of December, which alone tells you 110,000 people are interested in looking for information. So there is an appetite and a willingness to know and understand. And we need to make the most of that. But there were still 1,000 arrests over Christmas. And and the interesting change to the legislation, of course, is that now there's an automatic three-month ban. Yes, it is. And that's a fundamental change. Three-month ban and a €200 fine. And it's also from a a professional driver's point of view. So learners, not some professional drivers, the limit, the alcohol limit per uh, blood count is lower than it would be for the kind of category B, as they call them, the rest of us. Are we heading to a situation where eventually it will be no drink at all allowed? Do you know there's something very simple and easy about that, isn't it? Where you just go... It's, we're, not, we're not allowed any, and that keeps it simple. Um, I don't know, because the science is complex. Um, it is not straightforward. And that said, we do have, as a society, we have a difficult relationship with alcohol. But it's something we're beginning to come to terms with. We're beginning to address. For our own part, our index last year showed that there was a fifth of drinkers who were considering and were likely to cut down on their alcohol limits. So people are, as I said, interested and willing. We now need to kind of tap into that motivation, but most importantly, enable them to, you know, consume within the levels that are acceptable and appropriate or to cut back or abstain should they decide to. Chief Executive Officer of Drink Aware, Sheena Horgan, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back with the news headlines and the weather after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. And welcome back to the Michael Reed Show and good morning to Marie Cairns. Good morning, Cahill, and good morning to everybody listening in. We've had quite a few people in touch already this morning, Cahill, in relation to the latest in the cervical a smear check scandal. Lots of women very unhappy today. Debbie was in touch. More deplorable treatment of women. Why were more resources not deployed to cope with the extra tests and make sure they were checked in time? The government was full of talk at the time about all they were going to do this and reassuring us that everything would be done you know, in proper order, but this hasn't happened. Noel on Facebook says, I'm sure there are plenty of women who wouldn't put themselves through this. Would many people, would many women really trust cervical check or our Minister for Health? I wouldn't, says Noel. I went for a smear test reluctantly, says another listener who phoned in, didn't want to give her name. And now you hear this news today. How can we trust cervical check? And yet we want to be screened and women should be screened because you can see how cervical cancer can spread so quickly and lead to women dying prematurely, really feeling let down by the government. It is a scandal. A draw had a listener phoned in and says, I remember crying listening to Emma Vickvahuna's interview about how she was going to die and that she didn't want to leave her children behind. I thought then that the government would never allow such a scandal to happen again. And now we hear that the repeat tests haven't been examined, that they were left there waiting What does that say to women who are worried sick that they may have symptoms of cervical cancer and got this repeat test, despite the fact that most wouldn't have wanted to, to be reassured? So that's just a flavour of of some of them in relation. And this morning's news hasn't been 
any better for women no, affected by this? No, no. Uh, Deirdre in Cals had an interesting point. She was just saying 6,000 people uh, have to be recalled to get the smear test done. And she says, why wasn't there an emergency plan put in operation to cope with the extra smear tests? Everyone knew that there was going to be all these extra smears and that there should have been an emergency plan put in place to make sure that they were all examined before they expired cannot understand how this was allowed to happen. Very good point. Uh, so that's just on the cervical smears. John from Navin was listening to the interview with Deputy O'Reilly and said she made a lot of good points in, and said that we should give the nurses a decent wage but never said where that money should come from. And I think that that's what we need to hear from Louise O'Reilly and Sinn Féin. If the nurses are to be given an increase then there's over 400,000 public sector workers waiting in the wings who'll also be demanding more money if the nurses get an increase. We cannot make uh, the nurses, uh, you know, we cannot give them special well, treatment as we said regardless Deputy, of how, uh, how hard they work. Says as we said to Deputy John. O'Reilly, the government's point is that it will cost £300 million in total by the time they take everyone else into account. Okay. Uh, on breathalysers, <laughs> that was an interesting one. Uh, we just got a phone call from a listener. My daughter bought one of those breathalyser tests. It really is an eye-opener, Cahill. People should be really careful about driving the next day after drinking. And of course they should. Um, Teresa, just wondering why so many ministers have to go abroad for St Patrick's Day. Would the money not be better spent on the homeless people or the hospitals? Joe from Delique was up in hospital last week. The nurses, paramedics, all the... Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Staff couldn't be more helpful. They are wonderful people up there doing a fantastic job. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons, by the way, that so many ministers are going abroad this year is because of Brexit. They want to make a point. They want to be seen abroad. They want to be seen all over the world, but particularly in the other EU countries. Okay. speaking of Brexit, Margaret says, finally, the truth is out out there. There will be a hard border. If there's a no deal, 
uh, if there's no deal, uh, what is going to happen, that there will be a hard border, our government has been asleep, says Margaret. Or did they think the EU or the UK would worry that much about Ireland that they would cave in? She feels that the EU have hung us out to dry. And, I mean, she's not too happy at all. Another listener on uh, what we were talking about yesterday in relation to um, GAA pricing and the the cost of tickets going up. Uh, This listener, Niall, says GAA pricing is a disgrace have been involved with GAA for the past 40 years and they are pricing tickets out of reach of genuine supporters both at club and county level. It's no wonder we are known as the Grab All Association. Regards, Niall. You heard that phrase yesterday, didn't <laughs> I did, you? Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, you know, Mead against Tipperary, Loud against Longford this weekend. It'll be interesting to look at the figures. And Pat from, from Balbriggan. And Monaghan against Dublin, that has to be said. Okay, Pat from Balbriggan. The GAA says that they don't want to be giving a change in coins. What an excuse. They should, uh, that everyone should just pay and not have to give change. It's Sunday, Saturday and Sunday we will see the fruits of that. A couple of quick comments before we go to the beef industry. Uh, Do you want to take another couple? Okay. Uh, Headline prices, another listener says, for the the National League will be increasing by 33%. Why such a big hike? Why could they not just, if they had to put in an increase, could they not just put it up by one or two euros? It seems like an awful lot. And another listener said that yesterday as well. The point they were making was that it would lead to confusion at gates in terms of coins and trying to give change, etc., etc., Pat from County Loud says um, he was listening in yesterday to the interview with uh, local journalist Paul Murphy and about that survey that he did in Trim District Court and I suppose the findings that were focusing on the no insurance, people being convicted for driving about for driving without no insurance and he says the number of convictions is terrible. I'm driving over 50 years and my wife the same. We have had no penalty points no accidents both of us, we don't have new cars, just the same old cars, and our insurance has gone up by 100% each. Why is this? We don't understand it. The only thing we can put it down to is age, which is scandalous if that is, is the case. Although I don't agree with it, I would be inclined to take a chance, but I wouldn't. Uh, I can sympathise with people, though, and the cost involved. Uh, People, of course, should never drive without insurance, but the pressure financially that people are being put on, you see, in our case, through no fault of our own, we've done nothing wrong, and yet we're being hit with an increase. Good point, isn't it? It is indeed, and Paul Murphy, and that that was a fascinating uh, survey that he took of all the cases in Trim Court involving car insurance, but it's those 136 convictions. That's right, yes. That's part of the reason why your insurance and my insurance and that insurance is going up. Um, another listener says that that, that we should come, come down hard on those who don't take out insurance because if you're involved in an accident, you'll end up having to cover your own costs. Absolutely, and there is a clampdown, and only rightly so, as we discussed yesterday with Paul Murphy. Now, there's a meeting in Navin tonight by the new farmers group and this farmers group is Mead Beef Plan, beefplan.ie is their website and joining us to discuss this is Paul Fitzpatrick. Paul, good morning to you. How are you, Colin? How's things? And thank you for your patience. In terms of the meeting tonight in Navin, first of all, tell us where the meeting is and what time. Yeah, so it's um, it's on at half eight this evening in the Ardbine Hotel and uh, just, uh, I suppose the whole, it's, it's we're, we're the beef plan movement but we're actually national but 
we're breaking up into all different counties. So we've we we in Mead here. We're the beef plan in, in County Mead, but there's also beef plan in County Cavan, um, in in Roscommon, Galway, and we've uh, we've gained a lot of traction nationwide. Um, but I suppose tonight we're we're gearing up to gain support from Mead farmers, uh, loud farmers, and Dublin farmers. Now tell us, Paul. Tell us, Paul, because I had a look at your website last night, and on your website there's a report. This is this is a new roadmap by farmers for farmers. Explain that to us, please. And what what's the history behind this? What was the relationship between farmers and the beef industry? Yeah, well, I suppose just to tell you where we where the group originated from. Um, we were we were we set up as a as a group in County Mead back three years ago. Um, I suppose. Since then, then three years have passed. We we came, we came to the conclusion that we we needed more support, um, and we needed to gain, gain traction. And the only way we could do that is to get as many farmers behind us as we could. Uh, we believe that to gain more respect, we need we need a farm numbers behind us. So uh, we're we're hoping to get to forty thousand farmers nationwide. Um, we believe that the beef price isn't a true reflection that we should be getting, but we're looking for more respect within the industry. Um, because so it's a very it's a very difficult time for beef farmers, isn't it? Yeah, look, uh, you know, there's people losing losing a lot of money at the minute. There's people breaking even. Um, like all we're looking for is the cost of production plus the margin. Like we're not looking for for a big price for beef. We're just we're, we're just looking for a true reflection of what we produce. We're producing a, a prime product there. We're heavily regulated with board beer. We believe our beef should be marketed more into niche markets. Um, and as I said. Look, we um, we're just looking for that cost of production plus the margin. We're, we're fighting for every farmer out there, the small farmer, the bigger farmer. We're not we're not taking any particular side. We're we're hoping there that we can bring every farmer on board and meet try and meet every farmer's needs as much as possible, and just try and get that bit of a margin that we think we deserve. So in many ways, if you guys work together when you go to to sell on to processes or whatever, you can get better prices and you can get a better sustainability for your industry. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're looking for. We're also looking to set up. Um, purchasing groups in every county so we can get the numbers behind to have more buying power so we can get better prices to, to reduce our costs. We're also looking to set up the, the producer groups where we get farmers to um, book all their cattle through through one person to, and, and, and possibly try and gain a bit of control in the, in the, in the cattle industry again. Uh, we're just trying to, to get that bit of control back in. We as farmers believe that We've we've brought this industry where it is now. We we're we're employing a lot of people, and unfortunately, us as farmers aren't getting the the price we deserve. Finally, Paul, I, I read again last night when I was looking into this that one one expert described this as the last chance for suckler and beef farmers in Ireland. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it sure is. You take it. Um, a lot of people are uh, a lot of the suckler farmers at present are part time farmers. They're coming home after a long days work. They're going out. They're doing. They're doing, you know, a lot of late evenings and that, and it's just not adding up. Look, them, them, them smaller farmers are are, are going to over the next couple of years. I think she's going to they are. They're going to be gone, and unfortunately, it's looking like the dairy industry is taking over. And if you look a lot of parts, in particular rural Ireland, that it's it's the small suckler farmer with marginalised land that can't go into dairy, and, and they're being forced out. And, and it's unfortunate because they employ a lot of people in, in in them parts of the country with their small suppliers and and, and butcher shops and and shops and also. We we believe for particularly the rural Ireland um, and parts of the country that that isn't suitable for dairy and all that. The, the beef sector needs to be looked after, um, and not alone. Um, we believe that we've we've a fantastic product there, and it's just not marketed to the right right ability. And we're looking for all the 
politicians and everyone in in, in the government there that's over this um, to, to to seriously consider uh, looking into this more because if if something's not done. Um, our sector is going to be gone in another 10, 15 years. Well, Paul, very quickly, just remind us the meeting tonight, where and when. Yeah, so the meeting tonight in Dardbine Hotel, um, half eight. Um, and anyone else, maybe further on, there's another meeting in, in Monaghan on the 30th. Um, and says we're, 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 we're phasing out across the country nationwide so you can get all the information at www.peaceplan.ie. So we're hoping for a big big number tonight. Just We're trying to just tell farmers what we're doing, what we're hoping for. Um, we believe we can get a better price for farmers. We believe that this is our last chance and we need to push on now. If we don't do it now, as you said, possibly mightn't be a future there uh, for the beef farmers going forward. Well, Paul, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. And you're most welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Now, some Mead eyebrows were raised in the doll yesterday. Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil, TD for Mead East, writing on his Facebook, said that he was very frustrated by the revelation in the doll that a very small percentage of the Labour budget, leader budget even, apologies for Mead, has been allocated. There is almost 7 million available in leader funding under the current programme, which runs from 2014 to 2020. In Mead, however, there were only 24 projects approved so far, and the current drawdown is only €37. Euros. Joining us now to discuss this is Deputy Thomas Bourne. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Tom. Just give us a quick reminder, Deputy Bourne, if you could, of what the leader programme is about and where the funding comes from. Well, the leader's programme is uh, generally comes from, basically comes from the common agricultural policy and the rural development side of that. So it's, it's funded by Europe, essentially, under European rules and co-funded by the Irish government. Uh, and it generally supports r- rural development. Um, so when you're looking at for maybe for a community centre in your small village, uh, or you're maybe a rural business trying to get going, um, or you're trying to reach out to disadvantaged people, uh, leader is a place you can go to for various types of funding. Uh, and they operate independently through kind of a fairly complicated European structure, but it's meant to be from the ground up and the projects are meant to come from the ground up. And, and by and large, it works really, really well. And there's a lot of projects all around the place that have been funded by leader. And you'll probably see that on community halls or gyms or you know, local businesses, maybe in rural areas uh, where you'll see supported by leader or whatever. And that's that European uh, rural development funding and that's coming to Ireland co-funded by the Irish government. And, and, and I'm sure you, you would be approached quite regularly by communities looking for support through this, would you? Well, uh, yeah. Um, the process is extremely difficult and I suppose, of course, it has to be if you're looking for money. Um, and the, we have had a lot of sort of political disputes in the Dáil in the last number of years about how slow leader was nationally. And in fairness to the government, they did make changes to it uh, last year, which seemed to speed things up in most of the country. Uh, but it hasn't speeded things up in Mead at, to- at all. So there's nearly 7 million has been approved for Mead for the 2014-2020 uh, period. Now, that, I think that can extend to 2022 or can be, can, you know, if, as long as it's spent by 2022. So it's about 7 million. Um, there's only about 600,000, 700,000 has actually been allocated to 24 projects. But out of that, it's 37,000 euro. And, and apologies, uh, I, I may have said 37 said euro in yeah. the intro. I do well, it's, 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 it's still tiny. And mm. when you look at Loud next door, there's a much longer list of projects and about 700, just over 600,000 euro has actually been spent. Um, nationally as well, they're saying that 80% of the leader budget will be allocated on projects this year. Uh, but in Mead, they're expecting it to be 50% according to the government. So so we're losing out. And when I look at the list of projects, the list of projects is, is very small, the 24 that are approved. I'm familiar with quite a number of them. Um, but th- there's another five projects, I understand, being being considered. So I think 
really what, what I'm going to seek to do is now to find out why this is happening. I, I'm also concerned about uh, the projects that are there. You know, they're, they're from a limited geographical area and there are large parts of the county where there are no projects listed. Now, that's not the fault of anyone in particular. These projects are meant to come from the ground up. But, you know, and in, I would say this in fairness to leader, they have tried to reach out to communities to try to get uh, projects in. Like they, they would hold meetings in all parts of the counties uh, setting out what's happening. So it is up to local communities themselves as money is there. But there's definitely something wrong uh, when there's large parts of the counties uh, not getting not getting funding. But the key thing is, why is it taking so long? People say there's a bureaucratic problem, but it's the same bureaucracy throughout the country. Everybody has to go through the same hoops to get this money, and uh, that's probably reasonable. Um, but there's a particular difficulty in need, so I'm going to be arranging meetings now in the next week or so to try do we, to... Do we know, Deputy, if, if, if the impasse between the, the number of approvals and the small drawdown, is that due to the, just the structure of the system, or, or is there something else at play here? Um, well, it's it's not just a small drawdown, it's a small number of approvals as well, um, and the small amount of money that's actually been approved. So, uh, yeah, so there's, there's two things there. Look, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a long, tortuous um, process, but it's the same long, tortuous process in every single other uh, leader group. Uh, so so I, I, I don't know why it's, it's having such an impact in need. Uh, but what I'm worried about is if they don't spend the money by the time that th- this particular scheme is over, then it's lost. Uh, and we certainly don't want that to happen. And when you look at me, it's a huge county, uh, has rapidly expanded, a lot of areas with a deficit of facilities. And you see projects that have been funded by leaders. I think Ashburn Community Centre was funded by leader, I think, at one point in the previous programme, for example, uh, and you know lots of other places around the county. Uh, you can see the benefit of it, that it does have, particularly to areas where there's that deficit of facilities where they don't actually have something. And you can see some rural businesses as well have have really prospered because of maybe leader giving them initial grant funding and that that's available. So we just have to find out what, what is the problem in me. There is a local community development committee on, on the council. They really should be operating some kind of a supervisory or a questioning role in relation to this. I don't know whether that's been happening or not, but it certainly should be happening. Uh, and we need to know uh, why why we're losing out not, not compared to other counties. And it's really that point, it's compared to other counties. Well, uh, will, that we're doing so we're doing so badly. I will say and that we have, next door. we have asked me later for a comment and if they come back to us before the end of the programme we will happily read that out on air. I just have a, a list of the the approvals here. I mean and it does range across the county, a range across sport, uh, agriculture groups, uh, Slane and District Men's Shed, for example, um yep. fit out. So the, the, there are plenty of, of of opportunities there. What do people who may but be interested? Be more. Yeah, but, but, and but they should contact. They should contact me. They should contact uh, the Meat Partnership Company, which is which is the organisation for Meat Leader, and they're in Kells. Contact my officer. Any any local politician really will have contact details for them. But you know, and they will give information. But I mean, it is it is a long, torturous pro- process, and you have to be sort of able to to do it. But you definitely should try to get involved mm-hmm. if you feel that you can. There are, you did uh, say correctly that there are large parts of the county who are, who are approved for funding, but there are also large parts of the county where, where there's nothing there. Uh, and as I said, that does depend on local communities coming forward with the projects themselves. And I suppose it's up to all of us to try to encourage that. But, but really, we have to show that this can happen, that this can deliver for Mead. I mean, it's the first time in a long time where the, the minister himself was, was, was agreeing with my criticisms of it. Um, because in, in fairness to the government, due to the way the, the, these schemes work, uh, the local partnership companies uh, who run Leader are pretty independent. Uh, and the government has only has, has has a limited function. A politician have a limited function. The way the EU sets this up, so he has changed the rules, changed the procedures, um, and he has committed to me that he will be asking his officials to to keep tabs on me and what's happening. Uh, I'm certainly going to be keeping tabs on him and the doll 
the next time uh, oral questions come up and, and every time it does because we need to make sure uh, that our fair share has been allocated and the fair share that's, sorry, that's already been allocated to the county is actually allocated to individual projects and clubs and is in fact spent. And the minister in this instance is? Michael Ring. Michael Ring. Now, so, the, so if people are interested, the first thing they need to do is get in, to- in touch with Mead Leader. Yeah. Mead Partnership Company. Yeah. We, we have a response from them which I will read out very shortly. Just in terms of your own day-to-day, uh, Deputy Bourne, you're heading up to Belfast, uh, assuming there's no hard border introduced between now and this Well, afternoon. I'm, I'm past here, lit- almost literally on the border actually talking to you, and, so and I'm, I'm, I'm about halfway to Belfast. But, it, looks, it looks like uh, a clear path, does it? It does at the moment, and please God, it will stay that way, and that's, that's up to all of us to make sure that we work together to ensure that, that that happens, and to hopefully that the British MPs will have a bit of uh, sense, and we'll listen to people like Airbus today, who you know are directly responsible and indirectly responsible for hundreds of thousands of jobs in the UK, where they say the whole thing is a disgrace, and it is a disgrace the way it, uh, the British government is operating at the moment. Uh, they really don't know what they're doing, and there's so many people, not least their own citizens, but also obviously the citizens of this island as well, are going to be put out dramatically if there's a no deal Brexit. They need to get their act together uh, and work out a deal. They decide to do this and that needs to happen. We've we've tried from Fianna Fáil's point of view to do our bit to make sure that there is stability in this country in contrast to what's happening uh, in Britain um, by, by, by not having an election which probably could be happening uh, this, this month or next month. Um, and we think that that's very, very important that the government has a bit of space to do what needs to be done with, with Europe. It's it because of the massively adverse consequences uh, for this island. And, and and that's what our focus is on. The reason you're heading north, of course, is that there's a, an announcement today of a partnership between Fianna Fáil and the SDLP. Not a merger to begin with. No, it's not. No, um, it's not. It's a partnership. I mean, Fianna Fáil is a party. The SDLP is a party. Both have, you know, very, very honourable and proud traditions. Um, a lot of Fianna Fáil members over the years would have worked um, in partnership, if you want to say it like that, with the SDLP canvassing. I've done it myself, even when I was in college. Um, you know, trying to support them and support that, you know, mainstream nationalist voice in the North, which, by the way, up to about 15 years ago was the dominant nationalist voice. And, and to be fair, um, politically, in terms of uh, vote winning, the FPLP did kind of lose their way in the last number of years. Uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I think part of our role is to make sure that this, you know, a return to a focus on bread and butter issues uh, in the North of Ireland in particular. Uh, that's what we've tried to do, and we think we think the, the North needs an injection of that, uh, of the type of practical policies that we can put forward. Similar, you know, we we've tried to do that with the conference of supply. You don't always succeed. You don't get everything you want, uh, but 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 in the North, we feel that the focus simply isn't there. The focus is on, is on constitutional matters, which of course are very important. Uh, but even even in that respect, the focus has been completely taken off. Even the constitutional questions uh, in the last while, because of the lack of an assembly. Uh, because of the lack of of of, of rule by the people of will, the will this themselves. help bring back Stormont? Well, look, I mean, what we hope it does is we hope it make it helps make life better for people, and that's not just up to SDLP and Fianna Fáil. That's up to every party, and if we can be up there uh, mixing in in the political scene, working with the SDLP, making sure that they have you know the right ideas to put forward to people, and also them helping us, and you'll find with me, I'll be collaborating closely uh, with them, and we've done it anyway. Um, I mean, I mean, I spoke at an event with Colonies for there only less than two months ago in England. Um, so we we would have a close relationship. They have a close relationship with various parties too. But I think that we we have a lot to offer them. And I think, but this this, this deputy has not been unanimously received by your own party. I mean, we saw we no, saw Sorek McInnesby uh, launch an election campaign as a Fianna Fáil candidate for Fermanagh, and this was backed by Eamon O'Keefe and Senator Mark Daly. So is the, is this is this well received within your party? Do you think? Well, I mean, it was. Uh, I think. 
um, I think unanimously supported at the at the parliamentary party on Tuesday when we had the meeting when Michal gave us the information about it and, and you know the Charlie McConnell were a negotiator. Michal's going to give further details this morning in Belfast and that's where I'll be. Um, but yeah, it was unanimously. Look, when, when, let's be honest, Carl. Whenever Michal Martin announces anything that's that's slightly different to what people maybe want, there's always a few people who criticise, and that's that's of course probably even necessary in a democratic party that there would be people who don't agree with everything. We don't, there are some parties where that doesn't happen. It does happen in Fianna Fáil. It has to be said, sometimes it's the same people all the time on every issue. Mm-hmm. I think I'd, I'd have maybe some more, um, they would have more resonance with me if it was maybe a different person with a, with a, with a point of view on a, on, a, on a different issue rather than the same people on every single issue. Well, Debbie, um, can we, can we uh, wish you safe travels across the border? We do have to read out the statement now from the Mead Partnership working on behalf of the Mead LCDC. That was Deputy Thomas Bourne, of course, Fianna Fáil TD from Mead East. We've had a, a statement from Jennifer Nolan, who's the Programme Manager with the Mead Partnership. She says that to date, Mead Partnership working on behalf of the Mead LCDC has allocated €1,028,895.93 of the €5.137 available for both enterprise and community projects in County Mead. As of yesterday, another €197,645 was positively evaluated and will move to contract stage in the very near future, bringing the total award to €1.2 million. They are currently working with 26 project promoters across the programme themes of economic development, social inclusion and rural environment. In relation to Deputy Byrne's comment on the drawdown figure, there is a marked distinction between allocation and drawdown and many of the projects approved and under contract to date are large capital projects that are currently under construction drawdown for these projects is estimated over a period of 18 to 24 months as drawdown can only take place once the project is fully completed based on the number of applications on hand and the level of quality applications likely to complete this year we are confident that all funding will be allocated within the time frame of the programme we are very much open for business and will continue to animate and promote the programme across the county of Meath in 2019 and she hopes that the feature this morning on the show will drive interest and inquiries for the uh, leader programme here in County Mead. Finally, we do acknowledge, uh, says Jennifer, that the leader programme nationally was somewhat slow to allocate funds, but this was acknowledged and accepted by both Minister Humphreys and Minister Ring in that 37 substantial rule changes have now been made by the Department to the programme's operating rule, and this has facilitated greater access to the leader programme for local business and local community groups. If you would like more information on the Mead Partnership as part of the leader programme, go on to their website at meadpartnership.com. IE. That's meadpartnership.ie. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show uh, here on LMFM with me, Cahill Dervin, standing in for Michael today. As always, 086 1800 658 is our text number. Now, you will have heard many discussions already this week on the programme regarding Brexit. And as the deadline approaches for Britain to exit the European Union, Border Communities Against Brexit, BCAB, have planned a major unique demonstration against the return of a hard border in Ireland at Carrick Arnon on the old Newry Road outside Dundalk to take place this Saturday at 3pm. Spokesperson Declan Fearon has told the newspapers this morning that around 1,000 people are expected at the demonstration and that the anti-Brexit protesters will build a wall over part of the border. The Border Communities Against Brexit spokesman warned people will not allow the peace process to be dented by a political dispute over the backstop. Joining me to discuss this is John Sheridan, who's a farmer and spokesperson for the Border Community Against Brexit, representing the Unionist community in Northern Ireland. He farms 2,000 acres of land in County Fermanagh. And also joining me is Damon McGinnity, who's coordinator for Border Communities Against Brexit in Jonesborough in County Armagh, representing the national community. Good morning to you both. 
Good morning. Good morning, Carl. John, can I start with you, please? Because people this side of the border will be very interested in your views as a farmer working on, on 2,000 of acres of land in County Fermanagh. Your views on Brexit, please. Well, just in case that you think that I'm some sort of a, a mogul, I, I think that uh, the farm is about half that size. Oh, sorry, apologies. <laughs> okay. What's your question again, Just in terms of, as a farmer and, and as a member of, of the unionist community in Northern Ireland, your, your views of Brexit? Uh, look, uh, Brexit uh, is 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 a death knell for farmers in 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 this end of Fermanagh. We're on severely disadvantaged land. Uh, we uh, all our structure infrastructure for the last forty years uh, has come from Europe. Uh, the directives that we have to farm to, uh, and uh, and which our payments are based on. Uh, represent about 85 to 95% of our income. We're mainly primary production in both beef and sheep. That's suckler cows and yews to, to those people who understand the terms, maybe a little bit more on the, on the, on the ground. Uh, those sheep, <coughs> uh, we depend, you know, uh, on about 50% of the lamb from Northern Ireland uh, heads south for processing. There's around 18.5 million ewes in the United Kingdom. That represents half the breeding flock of Europe. Uh, 70% uh, of uh, UK lamb basically is exported. And to give it in graphic terms, for us to achieve 400 uh, cents uh, for a kilo for our lamb on the Runges market, if we have to pay the full tariffs, we could find ourselves back at €2.22. And I'm sorry that that, that that profit's not in sheep. Uh, they're just a, a pretty sustainable commodity in, at the best of times. So uh, the sheep fall off the t- face of a cliff. Our beef then uh, is going to be uh, at the vagaries of cheap imported beef from, let's take, for example, Brazil. Uh, we get it tight to make a profit on four euro a kilo. Uh, and I dare say you could fly it in backpack from Brazil at around two euro a kilo. Half price. So, uh, you know, we, we are in a fix because, one, we're going to lose our markets. And plus the fact that to sell a beef carcass, you need around 20 different markets, and that accounts for about 15 different countries. And uh, obviously, the United Kingdom are not going to be t- able to take all of the carcass and all of what we call the fifth quarter, as in eyes, teeth, nose, tail, hooves, you name it, which has become a big market now. Uh, um so any any loss of any one market brings down the price of the whole carcass. So we're 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 one we're losing uh, the payments that we get for directives that we have to farm to, and those directives are food safety, environmental safety, water quality. Um, you, you know, uh, just anything to give the safest food and best product that we can. Those payments are going to stop. We're going to lose our markets. And we have nowhere to go. Same thing with uh, same thing with dairy. Thirty five percent of uh, milk at the present time coming out of the north of Ireland goes south for processing. That's going to be even more now uh, if uh, the uh, Monopolies Commission um, clear Lakeland for the takeover of Black Patrick over in Artigarvan. Uh, you know, first of April, where's that milk going to go? It's a grim uh, scenario, Damien. Can I can I bring you in, please? Uh, on on yes, and you you farm in Johnsbury. I mean, you, your your take on all of this, please. Well, like John, you know, we're at, at 
at farther end of the of the, uh, along the Irish border. But you know, I agree completely with everything that John has said. You know, it's it's a disaster on so many fronts, as it will be for Irish beef farmers trying to access, you know, the, their product into the into the UK market with uh, you know possible tariffs. You know, would be devastating to uh, Irish farmers on the southern side. Never mind what we have to contend with here. Um, and given the just crazy state of Westminster politics, the huge vote against the deal that happened a fortnight ago, um, we can see how the maths will add up that they will that they will back this deal. And you know, when you get cut it all down into simple terms, and Barnier mentioned it yesterday. For there to be no crash, they either have to extend or withdraw Article 50, or they have to back the deal that was agreed. Um, and I think, you know, we in border communities get subsumed with this and chat about all of the possibilities that happen as well. The big elephant in the room that's not been discussed is this. The Tory party are completely riven by Brexit. And I think their concern now is about keeping their party together rather than about what will economically happen in their country, because they don't want to split their party and be out of government for 10, 15 or 20 years. To them, that's a complete anathema. Give us an idea, Damien, if you would, please, for the people of Jonesboro, which is your community, what a hard border would mean. Oh, sure, it'd be horrific. Um, You know, the village uh, and the hinterland is cheek by jowl with with the border. a huge percentage of people who live here work in the south, whether it's in the building trade, whether it's in the IT, to go and visit family, um, to go and, and, and drive down the road, maybe to go home. Um, you would cross the border because it's the, it's the shortest, most effective route. Um, you know, and to go back to the days of, of, of having border roads closed and having six or eight big uh, infrastructure on, at different locations where people are funneled through. Like, this is, is a nightmare scenario. And, um, you know, the media is full today of how many uh, Gardaí and uh, customs officers are, are being sought for the Irish border. Um, and we in Ireland, because we're so um, far removed from uh, Eastern Europe, we don't know about, but Europe has a, a big organisation called Frontex, People look it up, Google Frontex. They have 175,000 staff that manages Europe's eastern border. And this is the worst you know, case scenario in a no-deal where the UK becomes a third country in the eyes of Europe. They effectively become Uganda. You know, Europe will require Ireland to manage its border as laid out under EU regulation. Well, Damien, can I ask you, were you worried by developments in Derry over the weekend and would you be worried about what might happen going forward? Of course we are. You know, like, I grew up as a young man, um, you know, here when the troubles were raging and it was, it, was very, it was very bad. We have come through a fantastic peace process. You know, we have a, a community that's at peace. You know, we can travel around this island as we, as we wish and work. We do not want to give a second's credence to anybody, you know, for any political reason to, to start up a campaign. That, that is not what we want. And John, want John, can I just... To, you know, to, 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 to be as it is. And John, can I just ask you, I mean, Northern Ireland voted to remain in the European Union. What's your message to the DUP? 
the DUP? As an ordinary citizen, I mean, they're the ones holding the... the My message to the DUP is listen to the business community of Northern Ireland, listen to uh, the CBI, listen to the Ulster Farmers Union. 95% of the businesses in Northern Ireland want that. They want to be able to have an unfettered trade with both Europe and uh, Great Britain. Listen to 70% of the community, uh, people whose jobs depend on having a backstop in place, people who have to pay their mortgages, who have to pay for the payments on their cars, who have to pay for their children going to school, to college, to universities. The loss of the the European research monies, uh, 100 million into uh, Queen's University, 8 million to us here in in Enniskillen. Listen to the people and for God's sake represent them uh, and don't be uh, looking just to prop up uh, a political party at the expense of the country that they're supposed to represent. Do you think down the road this will prompt a, a referendum on a united Ireland? Well, I have always thought that Brexit would be the catalyst to uh, prompt some vote uh, on Northern Ireland remaining in Europe uh, because it's the most integrated area of any area of the United Kingdom uh, with Europe. Uh, Europe did a mapping exercise in early 18, 140 different uh, uh, avenues of integration and they found that that was only the tip of the iceberg. When you drill down in, uh, it, it gets more and more and more and shows the integration. And you were talking about what a border would mean on, on, in Jonesboro or Belcoo or Black Lion here. For goodness sake, there are lots of husbands and wives and the husband's working in the north and the wife is working in the south or vice versa. People have to get to their work. Huge amount of people from uh, halfway from Manor Hamilton, halfway to Sligo, a lot of the west, travel through the unapproved route here at Black Lion and come back out into the north and go back out into the south, either at Swanland Bar or Derry Lynn or going straight on ahead to Dublin. It's an integrated economic island. Uh, it's one of the most progressive uh, economies now in Western Europe. And here we have Brexit brought onto us by uh, a Tory rump who don't care about us at all and are quite happy to see us as collateral damage. Well, finally, uh, Damien, we, Damien, could I just ask you, and apologies, we're running out of time, could I just ask you, Damien, to right. remind people about Saturday, where the, the demonstration is on and what time? Thanks, Cal. Well, our demonstration is at 3 o'clock on Saturday. It's just north of the Carrickdale Hotel on the old Dublin Road. Uh, this is going to be dramatic. It's a piece of drama, but it's dark. It's uh, going to be for people to realise up close what we're potentially looking at here. And we want people to come along and be creative. And we love chalk and that. And people can write on the wall, send their message to Theresa May and to Boris Johnson and to Arlene Foster about what they think of Brexit. Well, they mean- we want to give the ordinary people that opportunity and let the world's media photograph that and send that across to them. Damien and John, we thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Now, this is a story that is so relevant across so many parts of Meath and Loud with closures of post offices, shops and lo- dropping numbers at local primary schools. Canalvi is one such parish and a meeting there next Wednesday night will be held to discuss... What happens next for this local community? The post office, the local shop have both closed and the local primary school is seeing a drop in numbers. Join us to discuss this is Councillor Sharon Keoghan, Independent Councillor at Meath County Council. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Carl. Sharon, Clonalvi is not unique, but tell us the particular instances in this story, please. Well, Clonalvi is about 20 minutes um, north of Dublin Airport. Um, and that's how close it is to the capital city. Um, it is a rural area. Um, it's a it's 
there's a lot of families there, um, maybe not so much young families there, um, but there's a lot of families there. They have a thriving uh, local soccer club, uh, Clarktown United. But unfortunately, it's seen the closure there of its local uh, post office there, like uh, it happened as well in Belliestown. So that area has been left without a post office. And as, as such, obviously, it's been left without a shop. Um, there's no there's no shop for people to 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 go to on a daily basis to get their uh, daily essentials like milk and bread, and uh, obviously that is going to cause isolation for a lot of the people that's living in the in that rural, rural part of of Mead. And does the meeting next Wednesday night in the primary school does that signal the start of a kickback for the area? Well, look, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, a number a number of people are very concerned about it. Um, obviously, the numbers in the school have been dwindling for the last number uh, number of years, and it's particularly quite low at the moment. And that is obviously causing causing real concern for the, I suppose, the board of management that's there, and the school, and the parents that are sending their children to that school. So, I suppose, really, it's to, I've invited all the the Medes TDs, Thomas Byrne, Regina Doherty, and Helen McEntee to the meeting. I've also invited a Mead leader to the meeting as well to see how best we can address the issues and find some solutions for the, for this particular part of, uh, of the country. Would I mean, you? this is a very historic place as well. Um, we have four knocks in, in Clonaldi. So how can we regenerate that community there? You, you, need Rural, the, you need the support of the community next Wednesday well, night as well, don't you? Absolutely. We need the support of the community there next Wednesday night. I mean, we don't even have a, a flexibus service in that area for people to go to to, to the local uh, to Mullen or the local Barbrigan or to Navan or to Drogheda. So these are things that we need to look at, how we, how we can best serve the people of Clonaldi and what we can do for them. Uh, to address the, the, the stark realities that's now hit, hit the community there. Unfortunately, Sharon, time is against us this morning, but can I bring you back to a discussion that you and I had before Christmas and there was a meeting in Duleek about the whole drug problem. There's been a very positive development with the appointment of a Garda liaison officer, in particular to help people and families deal with drug debt. Just give us a very brief outline of that, please. Well, uh, at the meeting of the, uh, on the night, obviously a number of parents uh, brought to the attention of the superintendent that um, there were families within our community um, that may have been under threat from from dealers, um, and obviously that was causing concern to them, and obviously to their to their the, the young youths that may be involved in this. So the guard, the superintendent uh, Dwyer, gave a commitment on that night that he would try and see if he could appoint a guard, a liaison, a drug liaison officer to assist those families. And true to his word, he has appointed somebody there. That guard is now available to support families. That may be dealing with with the uh, uh, dealers that are um, putting uh, threats on their on their uh, family homes. And, and, and you you've come across many instances of that, haven't you? Well, I've come across a couple of instances of, of, of that in my village. But this is just uh, this this will be uh, in other towns and where where this problem exists. Um, other families would have, would be under under pressure as well from uh, intimidation by these dealers. So this is a very positive development. Oh, it's a very, very, very positive development. And, you know, we, we've also uh, recently met in relation to mental health supports for our uh, for our young people and for our town. And so we hope we're in negotiations with SOSAD. So we hope to have them up and running in in March. And that is, um, that is a very welcome development. Councillor Sharon Kelvin, I'm sorry I have thank to you. say goodbye to you, but thank you very no much for your time this morning. No My thanks to Marie, to Maggie and to Chris. Paul McKenna is after the news. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.